We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. Mm. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute uh, minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. Now, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the darkened hour. Now, we all know too well about the four planes that were used as missiles on that September 11th, 10 years ago. But you probably have not heard about United Flight 23. That's right, a plane that was only minutes from being in the air on 9-11, a plane that some believe could have become a fifth missile. Good afternoon, Adam, and hello, everyone out there. Good afternoon, Richard. So today we're talking about, I suppose, one of the more obscure subjects in 9-11 studies, that of Flight 23. Now, you, the audience, didn't hear me wrong. I didn't mean to say Flight 93, the plane that crashed at Shanksville. I meant Flight 23, which I really don't think many people know about this, Adam, and I certainly didn't know anything about it until you told me. So what's the significance of this other plane on 9-11, Flight 23? The interesting anomaly about 9-11 um, is that uh, there were supposed to be uh, more planes involved in the operation itself. And to give you a little bit of background about United Airlines Flight 23, I'll start with um, the day itself. With Well, incidentally, with just United Airlines Flight 175, 175 at... Uh, it's estimated at 8.46 a.m. it is hijacked. Now, the United Airlines had not known about the hijacking until uh, 8.53. And at 9.03, um, United Flight 175 crashes into the South Tower. Now, the word gets out to the Federal Aviation Administration and to United and American Airlines that there is a, there's a numerous incidences involving hijackings going on. At this time, United Airlines still, after, even after 175 had crashed into the, the South Tower, most of the employees, the management employees of United Airlines had no idea what was happening. Um, it wasn't until 9.21 a.m. that United Airlines dispatcher Ed Ballinger warns all United Airlines flights that are in the air to secure cockpit doors. And Ed Ballinger then takes the initiative to begin sending uh, warnings, warning messages to all the flights uh, that he is monitoring. And it was around this time that United Airlines Flight 23, which was a scheduled flight to depart from JFK International to Los Angeles LAX 
at 8.30 a.m., but it was late in pushing back from the gate by 22 minutes. So the captains on board of Flight 23, Carol Timmons and Tom Manello, uh, have a ACARS message. Now, an ACARS message is a digital uh, data link system um, for transmission of short messages between uh, the aircraft and ground stations uh, via either radio or satellite. And the following message in which was given to Carol Timmons and Tom Manello was the following, quote, we have gone to heightened security. Do not open cockpit doors, secure the cockpit, end quote. Now, according to Lynn Spencer, the author of Touching History, the untold story of the drama that unfolded on the skies of 9-11. It was Carol Timmons that started barricading the cockpit door with suitcases and Manello, Tom Manello, the co-captain, co grabs the crash axe for protection. And so Manello calls the plane's lead flight attendant uh, to keep giving him information to form her about the threat and tells her to not open the cockpit doors under any circumstances. And they're on the ground at this point, right? They're not in the air. Um, no, they're, I'm sorry. That's a good, I'm glad you said no. They're, oh, actually, they're, up, they're, in, yeah, they're in the air. Yeah, they're in the air now at this point. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I, you know, I, I have to correct me. No, they're on the ground still. They're at the gate. They okay. never took off. They never took off. Um, so um, the flight attendant who's on the ground is relaying the information about you know, we're stalling at the uh, the gate. Um, we don't know what's going on. So she doesn't tell them that the pilots have, have you know, barricaded the doors so not to cause panic to the people. And she says to him, quote, we, we just think you should know this because it is unusual. Um, she tells um, Tom Manel this. He goes, we have about four Arab men sitting up front in first class sitting in a row together with one another. She just thinks that that was a little bit unusual. Now, minutes later, uh, the United Airlines, the, the pilots, receive a radio message from ground control announcing that all aircraft be advised the airport is now closed. So, Manello tells the flight attendant to relay that information back to the passengers. So, this, you know, a subsequent message that announces at the airport that they're going to move back to the terminal instead of out on the runway where they were being held. As soon as they go back to the gate, the flight attendant then relays that information to the people on the radio. And as soon as she says that, that the flight has been canceled, the four men get up and they're automatically agitated. And they start yelling at the flight attendant saying that we have to fly. Uh, no matter what, we can't, we can't, we have to go, we have to, we have to be at, the airport in Los Angeles. And they were being very aggressive toward her. In fact, one even tried to get into the cockpit. And so she calls airport security to the gate. Um, but when they open up the, 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 uh, the exit door so that the plane, you know, so they could deplane the passengers, the first people that were off the plane were the Arab men and they just disappeared. Soon enough, FBI and airport security come to United Airlines 23 and they look at the plane and 
everyone's now, gone. What, what initiated that, Adam? Did the flight attendant report it to the FBI or did the FBI have their own suspicions? The, F- the FBI actually were at JFK anyway, due to what was happening with the events of September 11th. Well, sure, but what, what specifically brought them to Flight 23? Who initiated that, that? That I don't know. In fact, that information is not relayed enough. I mean, there, I, I, if, there's a lot, if there's a lot of blank spaces in this story, it's that it was meant to be. And I can alleviate as to why in a little bit from my own personal experience. And I'll tell you afterwards. Um, but the FBI and, and security do get to the plane. Um, and that they check the luggage that was left behind. And the only luggage that was left behind were by these people, these four guys. So they check the unclaimed baggage. What do they find? They find box cutters, copies of the Quran, and Al-Qaeda instruction sheets. So in other words, that this was not an, an, a separate anomaly from what was happening on September 11th. Obviously, this was a part of the operation in that on when, in, in a, I'll tell you my story, uh, about last year, I sent a freedom of information request regarding the flight manifest of this plane and because I want to know who these people were because we never were told who these people were specifically. And this story basically just died on the vine. And about three weeks later, I get an email from the University of Maryland or somebody affiliated with the university. And that's affiliated with um, the Freedom of Information request regarding this incident, saying that I'm not allowed to have the flight manifest. Um, I needed a warrant where I was law enforcement to look at the information. Because informa- that information is still um, not publicly viewed because it's still under uh, the uh, protection of the airline itself, United Airlines, and as well as the FBI. So, in other words, what they were telling me was that the FBI sure did investigate this incident, but it was classified. And that in order to get the information from the airline, I needed to have a warrant to get it because it's not publicly viewable for the public. Um, so there's that. And about, um, and of course, after the events of September 11th, you had a national stand down of the aviation industry, as ordered by Norman Mineta at the FAA. Um, and at about September 14th, um, there were reports of people trying to get on airline uh planes dressed as pilots um people that had box cutters on them people that had knives on them uh, people who had expired visas these were all arab men and even a woman was involved and there's another researcher by the name of nelson martins who covers this in depth um on his channel and that there was over 55 people that were arrested between September 13th and September 14th, because on September 13th, the FAA lifted the ban of flying and everybody could resume flying again. But right away, at JFK and LaGuardia airports, you had numerous instances. In fact, one instance was that there were three men and a woman on one flight departing on a LaGuardia, um, and the SWAT team came in and they dragged these people out. Um, they all had expired visas, but they were acting suspicious in that um, one of them had uh, a box cutter on them, on their person. Um, 
on September 14th, authorities will later check that the men's unclean, oh, well, on September 14th, they were investigating, the investigators actually believed that at least one of the passengers that was, a, that was among the number of individuals taken into custody on both JFK and LaGuardia was one of the people that were involved in Flight 23. But we're not privy to the information as to who these people are because they never, uh, they never give that information out. Okay, well, let me ask you a couple of questions sure. here then. Um, first of all, just to observe that it is astounding how few people seem to even know about this. I've heard of it. It's, it's not, you know, because it's not a narrative that particularly threatens the official narrative of 9-11, right? It's not, so it's hard to picture some, like, large government cover-up to stop us all knowing about Flight 23, okay? But anyway, there, there we have it. It just didn't make, there's a couple of little clips on YouTube about it, um, I, I find when I when I search for it, they have like maybe five and twenty thousand views a piece, which is tiny, really. Um, so, the names of these four Arab men would be on the flight manifests, right? Because I'm assuming that, well, it, I'm assuming I'm pretty certain about this. The names of the the nineteen hijackers that died, they weren't on there under false names or anything. They were traveling under their own names, right? So. Assuming it's then the same with the four men on flight 23, surely they should be trackable. Okay, so that's one thing. And the other thing then is um, the the hijackers had financial ties, money moving back and forth with figures like Ramzi bin Al Shabib. So as soon as the FBI starts looking into the hijackers, um, a financial network reveals itself. Another thought that's just coming to me now is um, when William. Binney turned on ThinThread, or was it Thomas Drake at the NSA? They turned on the ThinThread program, fed data in, and it spat out the name of the hijackers. And then they figured out the NSA actually had the technology to prevent 9-11. So did these guys get names get spat out with that? Now, I'm, I'm assuming you don't know that. But what I'm presenting is there are very, like these guys should have been trackable, right? And yet we never heard of them again. They didn't get shipped off to Guantanamo. So um, how is that possible, right? Um, what was said about Flight 23 in the 9-11 commission report and um what information if any was ascertained from ramzi youssef uh, not ramzi youssef sorry ramzi bin al-shabib about it or um khalid jake mohammed when they were captured and detained at guantanamo or anyone else for that matter you know how it just seems impossible that this didn't lead to a wider investigation and the capture of those men where did they go did they get on another plane and, and leave the country at some point what Right. Uh, I'll go to your, your initial point <laughs> regarding who these people were and why this uh, um, about the financial ties back to like a Ramsey bin Shabib. Well, anyway, the FBI actually declared these four men not involved with the day's events. And what they what did they use that for? Why? What uh, justification for it was they basically just said it. There was no justification for it, even though um, it's obvious to anybody and even to the layman that this plane obviously was about to be hijacked um, and part of the operation. Now, who are these people? Who are these four men? Um, there's reports that there were three men on the plane. Um, there's actually a report, according to History Commons, there were six men on the plane. So we don't even know the exact amount of people on the plane. We just know, according to two um, news articles that I've read and seen on video, that there were four, three or four men on the plane. But the funny thing is that this, this story itself is very vague in itself. It's not very detailed. And it's also not very public. You're right. 
not many people know about this incident and everybody really should because it does show you that it goes back into the original um, planning of 9-11 in which Khalid Sheikh Mohammed actually proposed to bin Laden. Now take this with a grain of salt. This is coming from Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's own mouth after torture. I just wanted to remind the, 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 the listener. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed actually proposed to Osama bin Laden that they should hijack 10 planes and that nine of them were to crash into American targets in the East Coast and to the West Coast. Um, and with the 10th plane being him piloted by him and that he would kill all the men and leave the women and children alive and he would land the plane and then go out and be interviewed by the media as to why they committed this atrocious act and operation. Um, in regards to uh, what Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Ramzi bin Shabib had said about this particular plane, they said nothing about it. Um, incidentally enough, nobody has talked about this particular incident that's involved in Guantanamo Bay. Well, they Either asked that, about it, though. I, not, that I, not to my knowledge. Right. That, I, of course, also, too, we're not privy to that information, right? To what was actually said to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or Ramzi bin Shabib, because that information um, is destroyed by the CIA's own admission. Uh, they destroyed the tapes of even the torture sessions. So we will really, obviously, will never know, unless that information becomes publicly available, as to what was actually being uh, told to the people at Guantanamo Bay, or what kind of questions were asked by the unknown interviewers at these CIA black sites, or at Guantanamo Bay itself. Um, but according to the, the, according to bin Laden, or Ayman al-Swahiri, you know, the, the other main suspects of 9-11, they never ever spoke about this particular subject. Okay, okay, so um, the flight, you're saying that I suppose the real smoking gun here is the Al-Qaeda literature in the Chekhov luggage, right? Yeah, in, in Al right, that's called the Al-Qaeda manual. Right. Okay, so I think I've basically asked you this question before because we see a similar situation with other hijackers. Um, I think it's Mohammed Attar, right? But you can elaborate on this. This, it, it seems incredulous that if you're going to hijack an aeroplane, you bring an Al-Qaeda manual along. I mean, like, are you planning on reading it on the plane so you know what you're doing? Um, right. But then you check it in, right? So it just... That, why? Why would you check it? And putting box cutters in the checked-in luggage where they can't get access to them. So it makes me wonder, were they doing, like, getting to LA and then hijacking another plane? But of course, they'd be far too late to do that because everything would be grounded by then. They could reasonably predict that. So it's just something that doesn't make sense. Like, you don't bring incriminating literature to a crime. And why check your box cutters in? Well, I don't... this was in the carry-on luggage, by the way. Uh, carry on, but would they not have taken that with them when they got right, off the plane? That, 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 well, that, that leads one to the imagination, right? We don't know what was on their person. Because remember, sure. the, with Khalid Al-Midar um, and Majid Makid, the people, the, the two hijackers that you could see on Dulles Airport video, they go through, and Khalid Al-Midar actually has uh, uh, a box cut on him. But you're allowed to have, because it wasn't... Um, one of the it wasn't an item that was uh, not 
that was banned by the airlines. Right. Actually, right. box cutters and knives that were shorter than four fingers. So this, this wasn't checked in because I think I've tried to get get an answer to this. Well, the, the luggage that was recovered wasn't checked in. They abandoned their carry-on luggage when they yeah they, the they, ba- they abandoned it. Yeah, right. Okay. 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 That makes more sense. It doesn't make, entirely make sense as to why you would carry an Al Qaeda manual right. onto but a plane. Also, you can right. I, I would like to touch on this a little bit because also too you can actually look at it this way. You can say that they left this, especially with the incriminating evidence at Logan where they, they couldn't get on because their luggage was held back because they were on a connecting flight. Mm. So that's that's possible. But you also have to flip on the flip side of the coin too, that they that they left this information to make it look like something else. Like they were Al Qaeda individuals when they may not have been. Yeah, sure, um, sure. And also because it's it's a little bit too convenient, right? Well, this, because, this is a lot of these convenient things. Like we've spoken about Mohammed Attar leaving his laptop with a flight simulator on it in his apartment in Germany. It was like, if you're moving house, the one thing you don't forget is your laptop. Um, and that's for a normal person, never mind if you're an international terrorist, you know. And, uh, this idea of like leaving things around the place. Um, people talk about it with Lee Harvey Oswald in the, the Kennedy assassination, like creating a legend for oneself, you know. So, right. Uh, it, that's why that's why it makes it seem like, uh, especially with when they search uh, Mao and Al Shahi's rental car at uh, Logan, and in the back they find a list of the hijackers' names. Now, according to my fellow researcher Nelson and myself, we both believe that that only not just talks about the 19 hijackers, but there was a lot more because we feel that when Muhammad Atta and um, uh, Alomari, Abdulaziz Alomari, traveled to Portland. It wasn't just about connecting to a different flight so they won't make it seem that a whole bunch of Arabs were coming in Logan. We feel that these were people that were involved in the uh, the operation itself. We've always felt that 9-11 was supposed to be a much bigger operation involving more planes. In fact, um, the incidents that I talk about on September 13th and 14th um, is proof of that. You know, There were 55 people arrested, detained. And uh, a lot, and all, every single one of them were deported back to Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. What well, is that? Afghanistan. So they were they were deported for visa violations. Then that's right. Every all of them, all of them were. Were they deported quickly? Yes, you know? right away. In fact, they were deported by I think September thirtieth. I could be either September thirtieth or 29th. Okay, well, you you could say September thirtieth. That's like two weeks. Okay, and maybe yeah. that's enough time to determine these guys weren't involved in anything more sinister than a visa sure. violation right sure maybe i don't know um what's your feeling because i mean it should be pretty clear cut. if 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 they're taking al-qaeda manuals on in their hand-on luggage it's pretty clear cut right if someone's on a plane with an al-qaeda manual and box cutters okay then they're they're going to guantanamo right so was that I, i take it there was nothing that incriminating found with the 55 that were deported Right, that's right. But uh, for the exception of one individual who's dressed as a pilot, trying to get on as a pilot, yeah. actually, I, I believe that that person actually was a relative of Osama bin Laden. Actually, I, I I don't know if it was a cousin or an uncle or something like that, but he was he was actually related to him. Right. So that you know, like in other words, what I'm trying to say is like it's a little bit too close to home uh, in regards to the similarities of what what happened on September 11th and what was happening on September 13th and 14th with all these individuals. Incidentally enough, um, the Israelis that were arrested on September 11th also were uh, deported 
due to visa violations. So all these people that were similarly somehow indirectly involved with the September 11th attacks, all of them, every single one of them, were deported on visa violations. Yeah, we actually, because I suppose because there's a lot more interest being given to that Israeli story, right? Mm -hmm. And probably not 1% of the interest it deserves for the wider Israeli spy network and um, Ziad Jara, particularly family connections with Mossad and so on. Um, but it's a lot more that's been given to the story of the Arab hijackers. Strangely, really strangely, right? right? right. You would think right. that the Jewish thing would be the one that was covered up. Um, right. But how, how long were the, um, the so-called dancing Israelis detained for? Uh, 71 days, actually. So a lot, a lot longer. A lot yeah, longer. a lot longer. And we do have um, highly redacted transcripts of their interrogations. Right. Well, I think we don't have anything of the 55 Arabs. Yeah, well, there's no, yeah, there's nothing in regards to the um, the Arabs themselves. In fact, the Israelis have a FBI file, and like you said, it's heavily redacted. But you could read it, uh, the the parts that aren't redacted yeah. on on archive.org. And there's also a police report by the East Rutherford Police Department, and mm -hmm. it's four pages long, and it's about the the Israelis that were detained on the New Jersey Turnpike. So, you know, obviously there's um, a want there. So you, could, you, you could propose the motivation for just deporting them is the want to not acknowledge a large sure. Israeli spy ring. With the Arabs, I mean, we had a conversation with Nelson, uh, Nelson Martins about this, and I think he proposed that the United States wanted to get back to business as usual and not let yes. it be known that there were massive continuous terrorist plots planned uh, within the country because of the, the damage to air flight and, and commerce. So maybe it's um, better to quietly get rid of these guys back to their countries of origin and you know tighten security rather than having that come out now i mean that you know i guess that's um that's a viable explanation right potentially but, sure. but it's very strange it's very strange no and, and it is and there's you know there's other incidents that i didn't bring up uh, i'll bring up now it's it's not long at all but there were other incidences that are involved with the 9-11 attacks what uh, well and also indirectly involved it wasn't just those 55 men as well in New York. There was uh, two individuals, um, and we both know their names, Mohammed Jawid Asmaf and Ayub Ali Khan. Um, on September 11, 2001, they were actually traveling on board an Amtrak, I'm, I'm sorry, September 13th. They were on an Amtrak train traveling from Fort Worth, Texas to New York, and both men had box cutters on their possessions, and they had $5,000 cash as well, and they were acting really suspicious on the train. Um, they were standing up, um, everyone else was sitting down, and they were walking back and forth. So the FBI and uh, police, I'm sorry, the Fort Worth Police Department actually were waiting on the next stop, and they detained both of them. They were both actually um, also overstayed their visas, and they were deported. Um, and another incident, and this is a much more prominent incident, this has a lot to do with um, the misconception that... Um, the pilots were alive on 9-11. I'm going to bring this story up about Adnan Zakari Bukhari. Um, who is Adnan Zakari Bukhari? Well, Adnan Zakari Bukhari was a flight Saudi engineer who lived in Florida. Um, and he was actually reported to be on the flight manifest for American Airlines Flight 11, as reported. That was for the first time. And I think it was CBS News that said um, the initial names before the names were even given out. Um, this was the uh, flight manifest that were given out by Mueller. It was stated by uh, FBI Director Robert Mueller on 
and they got the information first. It was either CBS or CNN, one of them. And that Adnan Zakari Bukhari was actually on the flight manifest. However, this wasn't the case. Um, incidentally enough, um, there's also a report by 9-11 um, researchers that um, one of the moving companies in Florida moved one of the hijackers, and that's not true, actually, but it was the classic international movers, which is linked to urban moving systems. Uh, the name and the company was written on the notebook of the uh, Israelis detained in New Jersey Turnpike. And classic international movers is also similarly um, uh, known to Dominic Suter, the manager of urban moving systems. Um, they moved Adnan Bukhari in Florida. That's who they moved. And it wasn't one of the hijackers because I can understand the mix up as people saying that Bukhari was actually on the flight manifest. He was involved in 9-11. He wasn't actually. Bukhari himself was giving uh, flight lessons at the Flight Safety Academy in Vera Beach, Florida. And that's where several of the hijackers trained. 9-11 hackers. They actually trained there. And the FBI actually, and along with SWAT, raided the home of Bakari, which was 4036-57 Terrace. That was uh, Terrace uh, in Vera Beach, Florida. And they arrested him. And that they arrested him and they found identity cards belonging to uh, a brother, his brother Amir Bakari. Um, and incidentally enough, um, one of the um, identity cards belonging to Amir Bukhari was found in a rental car that was rented by Muhammad Atta and Abdul Aziz Amari in Portland, Maine. But the FBI gave him a polygraph and he passed it. And he was released and found innocent of the charges. And by the way, this is the only person that wasn't deported. He actually was living in uh, Florida for quite a long time. He, stacked, he actually still lives there. But his brother, Amir Bukhari, had died in a plane crash a year prior to 2001. He died in 2000. Actually, he died in Vera Beach on a um, small Piper plane. Incidentally enough, living next door to Adam Bukhari all this time was a guy who was on the flight manifest. His name was Abdul Rahman Alamari. He was actually... Um, reported erron erroneously by the media saying he, he was Abdul Aziz Alamari. But Abdullah Rahman Alamari, who was also a former uh, pilot for Saudi Arabian Airlines and had worked for JFK at the time, but unknown at the time, Saudi Arabian Airlines has reported that, yes, Abdullah uh, Rahman Alamari um, is in Saudi Arabia. He's still alive. He's also in his mid-40s. And he has a very thick mustache. So he looks nothing like Abdul Aziz Alamari, who's clean cut, has no mustache. And he's actually um, in his very early 20s. He was 23, 20, 22. Um, but a spokesman at Flight Safety um, said that Alamari phoned the academy shortly, many times after attacks. He's still alive. He had no, um, he was not involved in 9 11 attacks. Um, but many people, misconstrue and say that these were the hijackers. And it was BBC that reported this erroneously uh, on September 14th, in which they show a picture of Walid al-Sherry uh, saying that he's still alive, but his name was actually misspelled. The actually, the, the living Walid al-Sherry, um, the, the spelling, the misspelling is the last name, Sherry, instead of S 
E, instead of S-H-E-H-H-R-I, it was spelled, the living sherry was S-E-H-H-R-I. So there's a little bit of um, confusion as to how the names were being misspelled, especially with Abdulaziz Alamari, uh, because both men were pilots, because both men were living in Saudi Arabia at one time, um, Abdul Ahmad Alamari was um, uh, confused by the media as saying he was Abdulaziz Alamari. That's not necessarily the case. Um, but that's just a few of the anomalies with 9-11 in, in itself, and which is hardly ever reported by the media or even known to even the more seasoned 9-11 um, researchers, but they're important enough. And I, I can't stress the fact that um, the importance of who are these people that were involved with Flight 23? Who were these four men? If they weren't um, somebody important, if it wasn't um, part of 9-11 attacks, why is the information still classified from public view as to um, who these people were? And why would they leave such incriminating evidence as such as to the other hijackers left when their, in their luggage were Al-Qaeda manuals um, and flight certificates and box cutters? Um, is it made so that we can look in another direction or is it made to look as it appears as something else? Well, we don't know for sure um, with the information that's still classified to this day and to the information that's public and which is repeated to the public uh, day after day is that uh, these people were Al-Qaeda operatives and that they hijacked these planes for the reasons that they hate American values and our foreign policy. But is that really the case? Um, well, I leave that to the viewer or the listener of this program. Okay, thank you very much for that, Adam. Um, I think we'll pick up some other rabbit hole stories sometimes. Uh, sometime. Um, I know we we're going to talk about the attempted assassination of George W. Bush in Florida, the school he was at. That's another one that's been memory old. Um, but that will probably do it for today. Um, anything else you have to say about this? I think we've, we've done pretty good coverage there. Of flight no, I, yeah, that's about it. Thank you very okay, much. Thanks for listening and uh, see you soon.